Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Nostradamus. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight on That Kevin Show, he's the senator who's written the book on manhood, Josh Hawley. She is fighting to end Jew hatred, Brooke Goldstein. And he would like you to visit the Oasis of Hope, Dr. Francisco Contreras. And from the music spotlight, a live visit to the Eras Tour with Taylor Swift. And now, from Times Square, where the students of Hofstra University are fighting pizza rats to return stolen bags to their rightful owners. Here's that Kevin. Well, welcome to Saturday. Couldn't be happier than to have you with us. Kevin McCullough coming to you live from Times Square. We have got an enormous show for you tonight, friends. We have got a U.S. senator. We've got a worldwide recognized leader in the fight against anti-Semitism. And we have the biggest show, the hardest ticket to get a ticket to right now, with a live look in a couple of times tonight at the Arrows Tour with Taylor Swift. You do not want to miss even one minute of tonight's show. It's just that big. It's just that important. Uh, welcome in, Kevin McCullough. Glad to have you with us. Yes, the Hofstra students. Uh, first of all, I want to say right off the bat, uh, a beloved thank you to Michael Harrison, who hosted uh, once again at Hofstra University. Not that he does it there every year, but this year he did it again at Hofstra University, which may have the best doggone communications program in, in the, on the globe when it comes for students wanting to get into media. But they, their, their school of communications kind of served as a host for the Talkers 2023 convention. And this is where the most important talk media hosts in the world come together uh, once a year to talk about things that are going on in the industry, how to make the industry better, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, lots and lots of friends I had there this year. Um, old bosses, uh, people that I was a producer for back in the day, and uh, people that have gone on to fame and glory and are all around me. Uh, it, it was so much fun. If I tried to name all of them off the top of my head, I couldn't, but it was fun to run into Brian Kilmeade, Guy Benson, Sandy Rios, Frank Morano. Um, who else did I hang out with? There, there were just a ton and they were all spread out through the, uh, through the, uh, talk radio galaxy, but it's really changed because, you know, um, the media by which a lot of people get their day to day, uh, talk audio is no longer on actual radios. In fact, there was a whole subsection of the day kind of dedicated to how do you how do you continue to get the message out uh, in a world that's not using radios anymore. But uh, what a what a great time! Uh, ran into Larry O'Connor, Rich Valdez, uh, my very good friends. Uh, that uh, well, Larry. Those of you watching on the Salem News Channel, you know that I'm here nine o'clock Saturday and Sunday nights. But you know that Larry is here Monday through Friday. 
and we got to hang out together. Uh, Rich Valdez, funny story about Rich Valdez, who took, uh, I think it was Art Bell's place. No, 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 Jim Bohannon's place. And uh, Rich used to be the call screener for Mark Levin, uh, and he worked around the hallways of WABC a little bit uh, and did some other things. But Rich was there. He was on one of the panels. Funny story about Rich. I'm driving to the Talkers Convention yesterday. I'm listening back and forth between my uh, morning man, Joe Piscopo, on AM 970 uh, here in New York City, and I'm listening to Curtis Slewa on AM 770 WABC, and I'm I'm kind of confused because Curtis doesn't do the morning show on WABC. He hasn't done it in a really long time. When when I first moved to New York 180 years ago, he and uh, uh, it was Curtis and Kuby were the morning team that Phil Boyce, one of my bosses now, was their boss at the time. And they had the best morning show in America. They had an enormous share. I think it was like a seven share, a 10 share. And in New York at that time, that was, that was an, a really big number. The only person in New York radio now that gets anywhere close to that is actually my buddy Frank Morano, who's working overnights on um, on 77 WABC. He gets sometimes a 10, 12, 15 share. I think one quarter he had a 22 share. But um, the, the, almost one out of every five to 10 radios uh, that are that are in use right now uh, are would, in the overnight hours in New York City are tuned to Frank Morano overnights, and um, it was fun to hang out with him. He and I were at AM 970 together for a long time, and it was just uh, it was just a great time to remember all the great things about the industry that, that we've come up in and love. But I have to say a big thank you to Michael Harrison uh, for having – oh, Arthur Idala was another one. It's, he's one of my colleagues now at AM 970. Uh, John Katsimatidis was there, the owner of 77 WABC and also heard on AM 970. Uh, it was just every, every, everybody knows everybody. Uh, funny thing about um, I mentioned Sandy Rios, Guy Benson, who works for Fox News Radio now, and yours truly, were the last two main producers that she had while she was still doing radio. She uh, also worked for uh, American Family Radio for a while, and now she's doing her own podcast. And there was a lot on podcasting there, but um, Phil Boyce was back. Uh, he he doesn't live in the New York area anymore, but he was back visiting for uh, uh, for the conference. It was just great to see everybody there. And I, the reason that it's so important is because Michael Harrison, who I don't I don't know his politics. I'm going to guess he's not a conservative, but I could be wrong. I to be honest, he's never he's never made it uh, an issue for anybody that he's helped or worked with in the talk radio industry, um, because his issue is free speech. His issue is the First Amendment. His issue is the right for people to have a microphone to be able to crack it open, uh, as Arthur Idala learned about yesterday. You crack the mic and you and you talk to the world about uh, what is what is going on and how you see it. And Michael Harrison believes strongly that whether you're Sean Hannity or Alan Combs, rest his soul, uh, that you deserve the right to have, you know, the ability to say what's on your mind and to speak freely. That's why they gave the uh, Freedom of Speech Award this year to uh, Tavis Smiley. Um, they gave the Humanitarian of the Year Award posthumously to the late Jim Thompson, who I only had a chance to know in his last probably five to six years on the planet. Um, he was the head of the Broadcasters uh, Association 
uh, foundation, and uh, it, it, he was doing great work. He would help the families of broadcasters who would experience difficult times. Uh, and I know his son, Jim Jim Thompson Jr., Jim Thompson Sr., was the uh, awardee of the Humanitarian of the Year Award. Just such an, an enormously cool day uh, for our industry. And so thank you to Michael Harrison. Thank you to all of the Talkers team, David Burstein, everybody else. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing to keep speech free in America. Now, speaking of keeping speech free, real quickly, I want to touch on this story. FBI Director Ray last week uh, thought he was going to be able to just, you know, treat Congress like knuckleheads. Uh, James Comer's committee has said, you need to bring forward this piece of paper and it needs to come and it's, it's unclassified. So there's no reason to keep it. Uh, Mr. Ray said, oh, well, we, we, we want to keep it in a safe little spot over at the FBI. You can come over and look at it there. And Mr. Comer said, nope, it's unclassified. The American people need to see it. And what does this document actually indicate? Well, this is the real, this is the real interesting part. It's, it's a document called an FD-1023. I don't know what any of that means, but that's how it's classified. And it demonstrates proof that then-Vice President Joe Biden was involved in a $5 million criminal bribery scheme with a foreign national. It proves it. This document, this FD-1023, proves that then-Vice-President Joe, President Joe Biden was involved in a bribery scheme with a foreign national that pocketed $5 million. Senator Chuck Grassley knows about it. James Comer knew about it. And the American people need to know about it. And that's been the, that's been the opinion of the uh, Oversight Committee. And Christopher Ray didn't think it was important, didn't think it was necessary, didn't think that the American people really deserved to have a look-see at it. Well, he was wrong. And he got proven wrong. And now, uh, after kind of playing a game of chicken back and forth with uh, whether or not he was going to do it, he has finally agreed to make public the content of the form FD-1023 that proves that then-Vice President Joe Biden was involved in a bribery scheme. Now, talk about impeachable offenses. I'm sure we shall. Kevin McCall, stay with us. I knew it. Ah, uh, come on, Cab. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right. My next guest is a United States senator who has taken a little bit of time away from his legislative duties uh, to issue a bit of a warning, a concern, a prayer, a heartfelt plea with the world around him to embrace one of the most important, most critical components of our social structure in this day and age that we live in, and it cannot be overstated, is it is the issue of what manhood actually is and why it's so important. And that's why we're uh, thrilled to have uh, Senator Josh Hawley joining us. Manhood, the masculine virtues 
America needs. Senator, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I penned a book on the issue of manhood probably 18 years ago. And to this day, it is the book of the things that I've written about that was the least political at the time. It is by far the most earnest subject that people have responded to. And particularly, I have heard from a great deal of single moms over the course of these two decades that that book has been out uh, decrying the need for how to really understand what a healthy and decent and proper and good man can be defined as and can be um, uh, given a place of honor and importance in the culture around us. I'm curious as to what your motivation was for writing this book at this time. Well, my motivation was I'm a dad and I've got two little boys at home, 10 and eight, and I've, I've got a little girl as well. But as my boys start to get a little bit older, this book really started as me thinking about what's my obligation as a dad to help them become the men that they were created to be, to help them live into that, into their destinies. And then looking around at the culture and the messages young men are being sent, you know, that, that masculinity is inherently toxic, that to be a man is in and of itself to make the world a worse place. Those are just not true. Those are lies. And I think we've got to hold up a better vision of good, strong manhood and encourage men to live into that because we need them. This country needs them. Our families need them. Our neighborhoods need them. And we need to send that message. I don't know how familiar you are with um, the research work that Dan Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, former senator from here in New York, um, published. It was in the mid-late 70s now. Um, but the amount of work that they looked at in particularly the African-American communities across the country. And this was at a time when welfare and uh, government entitlements were being debated strongly. And his conclusion was that entitlements can never make up for the presence of a father, for the presence of what you would define as a strong man in the home. Um, do you know if the data shows that we've improved at all since Senator Moynihan's studies. Oh, I mean, no, I think quite the contrary. You can look at the rates of fatherlessness in America across all demographics, and they've only gone up, up, up. You can look at the same time at the rates of childhood poverty, the rates of childhood violence, youth violence, especially by young men, just through the roof. And at the same time, youth depression and youth suicides also escalating. And, and there's, there's a correlation there. I mean, clearly, if you want to address the childhood poverty problem in America, put fathers back in the home. If you want to address the youth violence epidemic, get a father into a neighborhood. And this is one of the reasons why masculinity, I think, is such an urgent topic for us as a country. We need good, strong men who are involved, who are engaged, who are providers and protectors. We need that as a nation for our kids and our neighborhoods, but every family needs it as well. Senator Josh Hawley is who we're speaking with. Senator, I, I wanna ask you something that may not be popular to discuss, but the idea that a man is needed, um, certainly the AOCs of the world and others that are very much living in the woke um, reality that they're trying to create now, would argue that uh, patriarchy, patriarchal ideas, um, these types of ideas that that manhood is necessary, that fatherhood is necessary, it runs against the very um, transitioning agenda that the Biden administration is trying to force into the schools. Um, there are so many things working against this. 
but it's been my opinion, and I haven't talked about it a lot publicly, just a little bit, that this is really not even a fight against men as much as it is against God the Father and what he and what role he plays in a human being's life. And I'm just curious, is there a correlation for you between those two? Yeah, I do think that the modern left is basically atheistic. I mean, and I think that drives a lot of their agenda. It drives their assault on both manhood and womanhood. I mean, we can't forget this is the left that today says that biological men ought to be in women's sports, that biological men ought to be in women's locker rooms, that there's no such thing as a woman, and that men are inherently toxic. I mean, it's the same message, right? And at the foundation of that, I think, is their basic atheism, which is there's nothing permanent, there's no God, there's no purpose, there's no eternity, there's only what you want at any given moment, and there's only what the liberal elites think is good for you. I mean, that's their worldview, basically, and it's a very empty worldview, which is why I think so many young people in particular in this country are struggling, are depressed, are lonely, don't have a sense of purpose. So we've got to recover a deeper, stronger truth, which is the truth of our heritage, the truth of the Bible, the truth of our civilization, that there is an eternity, that there is such a thing as manhood and womanhood, and that every person is uniquely created and uniquely needed. And the book is about what that means for men. Indulge me just staying on that that tangent for a second, because when we are talking about the damage that the erasing of distinctions and significance brings to this discussion, and I use those two words specifically because distinction indicates a separate function, but not a less value. Um, people want to say that men and women are the same. I argue fundamentally that that's not true. We are very different. And those distinctions are not there to create inequity. They're there to uh, provide purpose. But what I really find disheartening is that as we're talking about even the, the transitioning issue in schools right now, it's an erasing of identity. It's an erasing of distinction. It's, a, it's an erasing of purpose. And ultimately, and I'm a Bible-believing Christian, I think God doesn't make a child to purposefully be confused about what they're supposed to grow up to be. And it's the denying of the designer that is bringing about this whole idea of let's keep kids confused for as long as possible. Your, your reaction? You know, it's, it's interesting. If you look at the left's framework, if you look at their history, I think much of what modern liberalism is is rooted back in the French Revolution or even earlier. And what was the French Revolution? It was fundamentally atheistic. It was a denial of God. It was a denial of the principles and ideals of the Bible that had been written into our civilization. It was an attempt to get rid of all of that and replace it with the raw power of the elites. And I think you see that same attitude at work today. On the, on the point about difference, you know, the diff our differences, male and female, are the ground of our dignity, right? I mean, it, it's because a woman is not a man. A woman is a woman, and, and you just can't become one because you want to be. That's what gives women special dignity. Same thing can be said of men. And this is why this, this radical trans ideology that the left is pushing is so destructive because it just erases women, tells men they're toxic, and it erases women. I mean, this is crazy. This is something that the left itself, feminists wouldn't have put up with just 20, 30 years ago or even sooner. And isn't it, really it interesting that those voices have gone silent on this issue now? He's Senator Josh Hawley. Hold on one second. Coming right back from this break. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back.
to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. And we're back from Times Square. Uh, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. And Senator Josh Hawley rejoins us. The book is called Manhood, uh, Masculine Virtues That America Needs. And I want you to get a copy. Um, Senator, we, we were kind of down the rabbit hole just a little bit on the trans agenda and what it is doing. But it is it is essentially erasing the child's God-given DNA. Like, we've we've learned so much from science, and this is so anti-science, but in the genome code, we now know there's a serial number written on every cell in our body. I can, I can pump my body full of hormones. I can go um, have surgeries. I can do all kinds of things to change appearance. I get hit by a bus. I become mangled to a degree that nobody can identify me, and they pick up some of my DNA off the road to go see who I am. And it's going to say that I was born male. That's right. You know, biological sex is a real thing. And I think this gets back to the left's agenda, which currently at this at this present moment and for decades now is to erase anything that's permanent. It's in a war on a war on anything that is rooted in the eternal, anything that any permanent truth and male and female are permanent truths. And for men, we need to say to them, Listen, we need you to be good, strong men. We need you to embrace the virtues of a husband and a father and a warrior and a builder. I talk about these in the book. We need you to take on those responsibilities. That's how you change your life. That's how you change the destiny of your family. That's how you change the destiny of this nation. Senator Hawley, let me ask you if the days that we live in are as bleak as they appear to be. And you talk to any number of parents that are living in certain school districts, this stuff is scary. They're transitioning kids against their parents' permission and will, even knowledge in some in some instances. Um, and you've heard you've heard things come out of leftist mouths in recent days. Press Secretary uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre just saying over the last weekend um, that these kids don't belong to parents. They're all our kids. They, they belong to all of us. Um, what's the path forward? And I'm sure that manhood helps us uh, map that out but what's what's two or three steps that we can take to move in a direction that begins to solve this well from a policy perspective we've got to be clear that power should be in the hands of parents that's why we ought to enact a parents bill of rights at the federal level that will give every parent in america the right to see what their kids are being taught to see what their school district is spending money on. I mean, parents pay for these schools. Let's not forget, tax dollars fund these schools to give every parent the right to have control. Is there a version that has been drawn up in either house? Yes, yeah, I have one. I've I've introduced one. And it would also allow parents then to go to court. And if the school district, the, the bureaucrats, they deny you these rights, you ought to be able to go to court and force to ensue them. We have got to, to sue to enforce them rather. We have got to put power back in the hands of parents. And this now, is a, a winning issue. This is, this absolutely is somebody critical. like in deep blue New York, parents will go with this. This is a, this is a very, very winning issue in a large percentage. And I think on a, on a personal level and for men, just thinking about the application for men, I think the answer is for fathers, hey, be involved in the lives of your children. And it doesn't take much. I mean, I'm a dad. My boys, like I said, are 10 and eight. And uh, I'm not perfect. I mean, no father's perfect, but I would just say to fathers out there, you being present, you Mm -hmm. being involved, even if it's not perfect, even if you say, I screwed that up, that's all right. Just go at it again. I mean, if you are involved, you will change the shape of your kid's life for the better. So I think as dads out there, it's, hey, get involved. For older men, mentor somebody. Go out there and, and coach uh, find somebody to mentor, find somebody to teach a skill to that can change their lives. And that's the way that we're going to raise up a generation of men and change this country. 
Well, and I think that those of us that do believe in God need to have more kids than the other ones. Um, and it, it looks like we probably are, but that is, I think, vital because it, it, we have to replicate these values beyond our beyond our lifetimes. Mine are 13 and 10, Senator, so I'm right there with you. I'm You're the right same, yeah. and my daughter's eight, so you know we're we're in that same stage of life. Lots of chauffeuring all over the place and getting to lessons yes. and back and all the rest of it. But as you said. And I think we've tried to overthink this at times. You don't. You don't have to provide every, uh, you know, financial resource under the sun. You don't have to live in the biggest house. You don't have to have all of the trappings. Sometimes they just want to come sit on your lap and have a conversation and talk about their day. And when they can do that with mom, that's great. But if if boys can get one on one with dad, it's it's life changing. It's powerful. It's powerful. And to young men. I think we ought to say the truth, which is that if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to be a person of significance, best way you can do that is get married, have a family. That's not what our culture says, but it is the truth. Get married, have a family, invest your life in other people. That's how you change the world. That's it. Senator, congratulations on a very uh, needed resource right now, and I hope that it sells a ton of copies. Manhood, Masculine Virtues, American Needs. Go get a copy of it. Uh, we'll have it linked at the uh, website as well. But, Senator, keep up the good work, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much. You got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back. Kevin McCullough, very glad to have you with us. Uh, and I want to each week say a big thank you to those of you that have been helping us with our effort to end human trafficking in our time. Uh, it is a really big deal to me that last week uh, about 10 of you uh, went to the phones and said, I want to liberate a human life uh, because we are making tremendous progress towards our goal. Our goal for the end of the year is to have liberated 192 human slaves from North Sudan so that they can go back home to South Sudan. These are people that were taken as spoils of war in the Sudanese civil war. And many of them, when they were just very small girls, uh, were, were taken. But last week, um, 10 of you said, uh, I, I want to I liberate one. And so we are now at 56 of 192 uh, liberated for the year. And that means that there are 136 left uh, of names that we have on a list of, of slaves that we know about that we can go and actually do something about. And that means the world to me. Um, when, when we started doing this a few years ago, uh, it was very clear to me that this is a very unheralded thing. Uh, the, the governments of the world came together to solve this, the Sudan civil war. They divided the countries. They created South Sudan as the kind of world's youngest country. Uh, that's a safe haven for Christians that are in that area. But they did not do one thing about the more than 185,000 slaves that had been taken during the course of the, of the war most of them women that were very small children at the time. So it's been about 15 years. A lot of these women have spent um, all that time 
in captivity. Uh, they have had their identity taken away from them. They've had their name replaced, a Christian name uh, replaced with a Muslim name. Uh, they've had um, their genitals circumcised because the slave master says you're not a good Arab wife if you don't do that. And you can't be a good Arab woman if you don't do that. Uh, sometimes they are forced to do that on their own. They don't have sanitary spaces to do anything like that. So there's infection and there's other things. They've really, really suffered in that regard. But that's just one type of suffering. They've been repeatedly raped. They've been starved. They've had other things happen to them uh, that are on the human level just unthinkable. There, there's a word that in um, Sudanese is is so profane it's it's the equivalent of if a human copulated with a with a canine and whatever the would that union would produce is what they call these people um but the opposite when they are liberated is also true as painful as the pain is that they go through the joy that they feel when they've been liberated and then they've been given what's called their bag of hope which is everything they need to start their life over again not only is it uh, shelter from the weather it is also uh, food for a year. It's seed for food for a following year. Uh, they get all kinds of utensils to garden and cook and do things with. Uh, they have fishing supplies. They have other things that are all included. Uh, and then best thing of all, each of them receives a kid she-goat that will grow and be able to produce milk and cheese and other things for the, the slave, the former slave, but it will also give her a way to have a micro enterprise to support herself with as that goat then bears other goats uh, in the days and weeks to come. So each week here on That Kevin Show, we've been, we've been relaying for you a story of one of the slaves that has been freed. You helped free this slave just a year ago. And I, want, I wanted you to hear uh, another one tonight because it is really in kind of the telling of their story that you grasp the magnitude of what we've done. These stories have been translated from the Sudanese tongue into English. And so the kind of choppy delivery of the grammar and so forth is just how uh, that is portrayed. We're trying to be as accurate as possible. But would you take a listen to this and then I'll be back to tell you how you can help liberate a human being right now. My name is Nanya Newt. I was about 15 years old when I was captured. My mom had spent the last few days teaching me all about what it meant to be a good wife and a mom, showing me how to cook and sew. She had hoped I would get married in the future. One day I was out collecting firewood and that was when the Arabs found me and captured me and took me to Sudan without the chance to tell my family goodbye. It took me many days to walk the complete journey. They gave us boiled sorghum as we went, and the men that had been captured with us faced grave dangers. They were considered to be spies, and most of them were killed right in front of us. Upon arrival in the north, I was sold to a master in Miriam village, and then I was sold almost as quickly to another Arab in Magalagate. He made me work for his family, sweeping the compound and washing the dishes. They worked me long and terrible hours, pounding sorghum, fetching water. And then they said, in order to be a good Muslim woman, I would need to be circumcised. I was held down as it happened, and then I was forced to marry. Against my will, they forced me to work even when I was sick. If I did anything that made them angry, they would beat me. 
My master never bought me any clothes, never paid me for any of my work, and barely ever fed me. Then one day, I heard about a CSI retriever, and I ran to find them in the town. As it turned out, they were freeing slaves in my region, and they had not known about me. But I think God allowed me to find them because they brought me home. We walked that same journey back to South Sudan. And today I thank God because I am free. I thank the Arab retriever because he helped. I thank CSI and for those who gave. I cannot thank those of you who gave money to help us become free ever enough in all of my life. But I do hope that my prayer is answered, that we will not stop until they are all free. That's what so many of the slaves tell the CSI staff when they get to the recovery camp. Uh, please don't stop until all of them have been freed. Friends, it's our effort to try to end human trafficking in our time. 888-342-1010 uh, is the phone number. 888-342-1010. $250 not only liberates the slave, but gives them everything they need to start their life over again. Please call 888-342-1010 or go online to bringherhome.org. That's bringherhome.org. Ready or not, you'll be right back. With a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. All right. It has been the hottest ticket to get in music uh, for the last number of months. Let's use the music spotlight stage to peek in on Taylor Swift on tour.
soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music.